0: be sharing from Luke chapter 9, and uh, kind of give you a little bit of a backstory as to why we're bringing up this scripture today in just a moment. But um, this whole, you know, world is, is full of information and things that are helpful, things that aren't helpful at times, and it's hard to uh, even figure out what is truthful, what's not truthful, and during this time that we live in. And so, um, you know, when, it, when you grow up, and go to school and you do all the things that you do as a kid, there are certain things that you are taught that maybe necessarily you don't, it doesn't necessarily apply at the moment, but how many know that eventually it will be helpful in your future? And, and so as I have grown up and hear certain things about what you're supposed to do, what's helpful, you know, when it comes to going to driving school. You know, as a 15 year old, 14 year old, I thought there was nothing to it. You know, I've played enough video games. It's the triangle, it's the X, it's the zero or the circle or the square or the the trigger finger, right? That just helps you to go and and stop. And then, you know, in those video games, you drive on the sidewalk and it's not a big deal, but how many know if you drive on a sidewalk in reality, you're gonna have some issues, right? And so I get it now, I get to understand the purpose of going to driving school, of how to drive safely, right? And then, you know, there are other things that you learn about, about education, why you need to take certain subjects in school. And I didn't understand the importance of geometry until I became a college student needing a summer job. And I realized that I had applied for something and I had two choices. I had the choice of working outside in the hot sun with a lot of my friends, or I could work in a nice air-conditioned soft seat office with my own computer. And, um, you know, because I actually succeeded in geometry, that was so helpful that they saw that and I proved myself that I knew it that they gave me the nice cushion seat with the computer. You know, it, probably, it wasn't a Mac because, you know, that wasn't necessarily uh, something I needed at that time. But, you know, it was a nice computer. It was nice air conditioning. And all the time, my friends would, would try to sneak in just to get air conditioning only to see the boss come in and they run back outside, right? Because that's just the way things go. And so they were jealous of me. And I was happy that I finally, I took it seriously, right? And so you, you get things now. And then I... Didn't understand a whole lot about budgeting until I, you know, started to, you know, have a family and, and you know, you have kids and stuff. And so it, budgeting becomes more important. But at the time, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I was like, money in, money out, right? It was just like, hey, if I got 20 bucks, I'm finding a way to spend that 20 bucks. I don't care about a bank account, right? And so that was just my mindset until I started to learn how budgeting was so important to prepare for things, not just in the present day, but in the future. And so I started to get it more and more. And then, you know, I didn't understand why my parents went and shopped at Aldi's. All I knew is that they always wanted to take a quarter every time you want to take a cart. And I didn't understand that and still don't at times. And, you know, because, you know, when I went for my parents was mom and dad, I want Fruit Loops. And then you go to Aldi's and it's Tootie Fruities. And I'm like, no, it's not the same, right? And then you want, you, want, you know, you want Nutella not hazelnut spread? Like what is that stuff? Like it's not the same thing. I don't want I want Cheerios. I don't want toasted oats. Like what in the world is this stuff, right? And then as I get older, I'm like, man, that stuff is a whole lot cheaper than the Fruit Loops. So I'll take Tutti Fruities all day. I'll take I'll take toasted oats and hazelnut spread and all that good stuff because it hey, food is food to me now. It doesn't matter. Um you know, and so I understand now, I get it now, the importance of all these things, you know, saving money, doing all these things, learning things. And so this, this message this morning that I'm gonna be preaching actually was not the original message I was gonna be preaching on. As I decided on Monday what I was gonna be speaking on, I did some research and, and I started looking up things and, and spending some time, like what, should, what would be important for the church to hear, how can they be encouraged, things like that. And on Wednesday, I was driving down Asbury Road and this scripture actually came across my mind. This story came across my mind. And I, and I knew in my heart that this was what God was wanting to speak. And so what I have, the points that I have here today is actually what I was dealing with this week. You know, I had the, the desire to speak on a certain subject, but God had a different desire. I had the tension because I was like, okay, God, I, I have a strong feeling that this is what you want to say. However, I've already done so much homework and, and research already, I've, that would be pointless for me to just disregard that for this week. And so there was this tension. And then I had to make the commitment, okay, am I going to do this my way or am I going to do this God's way? And so I just, I knew in my heart that this is what the Lord would want to say to us. And so the title of the message is, I get it now. And first is, um, as we look at this passage of scripture today, In these verses, chapter nine of Luke, Luke's gospel, verses 51 through 62, there are a lot of things happening. How to follow Jesus. You know, as I've grown up and and followed the Lord, I'm learning so much about following Jesus that I didn't know 10 years ago. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still figuring this thing out because God is so amazing. He's He's so intelligent. There's so much to learn from him. And there's so many things that I knew in my head but I didn't actually live out in here and with my life. And I still struggle with that at times, that I know the information, but I don't actually live it out at times. And so it's coming to this place of, of realizing what is Jesus looking for? What are, the, what are his expectations of me as a follower? And so when it comes to these set of verses, we're gonna see some things here. In verses 51 through 56, I'm gonna, we're gonna sh- see throughout this whole story that Jesus's invitation is for all, and it's for everybody and anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think that's such an encouraging thing, that Jesus's invitation is for anyone, and it's for everyone. This is what we're going to read about in verses 51 through 56. If you want to turn there and read it, or it'll be on the screen for you. And This is what it says. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Another way to say it is he fixed his eyes on Jerusalem, to basically to die on the cross is what he's about to do. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went into another village. And as we open up this message about understanding how do we get this thing that Jesus is calling us to do, it's important to understand the foundation as to what we're supposed to do here and now in our world that we live in. And Jesus illustrates this beautifully, that when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, what he came to do, it's so important that Jesus experienced rejection. He experienced rejection in, in Samaria, and Jesus had expanded his ministry into Samaria a few different times. When he was with the Samaritan woman at the well, she w- she w- started communicating with Jesus. Jesus started up the conversation, which was something that you didn't do um, in that culture. It was a shock. Jesus started giving her facts about her life that only she could have known. She didn't post it on social media. Her business, right? She only she knew something was different about Jesus, and so she invites her entire village in that Samaritan area, to hear what Jesus would have to say. But then we see here, Jesus experiences rejection because of where he was going, Jerusalem. Jerusalem didn't like Samaria. Samaria didn't like Jerusalem. There was, the Samaritans were considered by the Jewish people half-bloods. These were half-blooded people. They weren't truly Jewish because throughout the different empires and people conquering one another, the Samaritans started intermarrying with different cultures, different empires, and so they weren't truly Jewish. And so this is where tension starts. There's more tension throughout it. They get invited to certain things they didn't get invited to. and, And so it's like this constant tension. And so they believe the best way possible is to just be separate and just do it that way. That's the only way to have peace, be separated. And Jesus starts to cross over into another part of his ministry by reaching people that the Jewish people were avoiding. And so this is such an interesting thing. And then you have people who don't even want you. I mean, it's, this is, is a, a, an amazing thing to see is like, wow, they didn't even want Jesus. And so a lot of us could be like James and John, and where we're just like, God, let's, let's nuke them, right? That's what James and John are saying. Let's just, Let's just blow them up, right? And just get rid of these people for for rejecting us. Do they not know who we are, right? And that's, I mean, and Jesus, what does Jesus do? He turns and he rebukes them for making such a statement. And I find that interesting, why? Because these guys were so, uh, they, they, they knew the Old Testament. They knew what, what happens when people reject God's, God's people. They knew what happened to those people. God would come and just wipe those people groups right out. And so they're used to this kind of style, you know? And so what happens With this particular part, is that it reminded me of Luke 14 or Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19, when Jesus makes a statement using the prophet Isaiah. Talks about who Jesus is and what he came to do in this present age. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. And he talks about how the spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he came to reach you know, the poor. He came to bring the good news. He came to rescue people. He came to heal people. All these different things. But if you look up Luke, or Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2, he leaves out, and he leaves out one particular phrase, the vengeance of God. He doesn't state that in Luke. Why? Is Jesus misquoting Scripture? No. He's telling them about the timing of what Scripture is being fulfilled in the present day, and what is being Uh, what is being fulfilled in the future. So Jesus is basically saying, this is a time for grace and mercy. This is a time for God's love. Jesus will talk about judgment. He will talk about the Lord uh, and the vengeance of God, and talk about that. But he talks about that in futuristic terms. He says, there is coming the day where you will be judged. The one who knows all, you'll be judged. There is coming a day. And Jesus would make that statement to religious leaders. There is much to say in judgment of you. He would make that statement to them. But it was a futuristic statement. It wasn't the present day. Jesus said, this is a time for grace and for mercy. It's not about being a combative Christian like James and John were trying to do, about combating with people and, and fighting fire with fire. That's what James and John were trying to do. Jesus says, no, I rebuke what you're trying to say because that's not the present day and what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give them grace and give them mercy. And it's such a a beautiful thing for Jesus to do that. And, and, And this is what even the Apostle Paul will say. The Apostle Paul will tell us in Romans, you're either under God's wrath or you're under God's grace. In other words, another thing to say would be under God's law, because the Old Testament, they would be familiar with the Old Testament. It was a a law that was given to them. These are the things God has put in order that if you do not obey them, if you mess up one time, the, the wrath of God will come as a result because you disobeyed a law. You became basically a lawbreaker, however you wanna put it, right? If you get caught speeding, you may not call yourself a lawbreaker, but because you sped, you're a lawbreaker, right? I mean, that's who you are. And so Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you are not subject to the law's punishment. You are under my grace. I think that's a beautiful thing, right? Is that, man, I don't have to be subject to God's wrath because the law is the law. And if I don't obey the law, if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I make a mistake, I don't fall under the, the law's punishment. I fall under into Jesus's grace. I think that's such a beautiful thing. This is why it's good news for all of us is because I don't have to, that necessarily, it's not saying that it's taking away your effort, not doing anything, not trying, not just making the same mistakes over and over again. No, there is a part of you where it does take your own effort to say, you know what, I'm going to be committed. We're going to be talking about this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, God tells us when we follow him, he prepares good works in advance for us to do. And so here's a couple of things that are going to come across your brain whenever God calls you to do something. You're going to have the desire. You're going to have the tension and then you're going to have to make a choice in the commitment. And this is how Jesus talks about it with three uh, encounters that he has with people. And they all want to do the same thing. They all want to follow. But Jesus is going to teach them something about following him. And he opens the invitation for anyone. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there to Luke chapter 9 again. And what we're going to look at today is Jesus' invitation being for all. The first one is the desire. Let's look at this in verse 57 through 58. As they were walking along the road, Jesus is making pit stops on his way to Jerusalem. A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So as this guy, as they're walking along, a man makes a confident statement. He says, I have the desire to follow you. You know, we've all had a desire to do things right? I had a desire to ski one time until I realized crashing was not something I really desired after all. And so, you know, it took a couple of, of, of guides, you know, as I kept crashing, they said, you need to go to the bunny hill. And that shot down my pride and confidence real quick because they're like, you need to go to the bunny hill now, right? And my wife, she's not, she's not consoling me and saying it's okay, she's laughing. And she's like, yes, I'm better than you at this. Like she's excited. And I get to go to the bunny hill, right? So I had a desire to do something, but it didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. And so haven't been skiing since. All right, so now we all have a desire to do something. When this man had a desire to follow God, and Jesus is pointing out something because the way this man has perceived following him is different than the way Jesus is, is, is picturing it. This guy has an idea. This is what it's gonna look like following God. And Jesus says, no, it's not the same perception. It's different. This man is looking at Jesus as a rabbi, which he is, but he's more than just a rabbi. He's more than that. Jesus is talking to him about the fact that there is rejection when you follow me. There is rejection. We just read about it. He, he was rejected, and nobody, they wouldn't allow him in the village because of where he was going and what he was going to do. He was going to Jerusalem. And so they rejected him. And Jesus is showing this man that, yes, as a rabbi, you would have people follow behind you, the fo- your followers, and you would observe, you would ask questions, you would have communication with the rabbi. And Jesus was simply saying, I'm more than just a rabbi. It's more like you following a prophet which that would automatically make them think of Old Testament prophets, which Old Testament prophets were rejected a lot. They had some terrible things happen to them. And Jesus is saying, that's probably what it's like following me, that yeah, there's some good things that take place, but there is a lot of rejection that also happens. So are you ready for that? Are you ready to be rejected? And if you've not been rejected, then you're probably not following God the way he's asking you to follow because rejection is part of the process. It's part of it. It's part of, reje- and we don't like that because like, I don't wanna be rejected. I want everybody to like me. Listen, you can't follow Jesus and, and, experience, and, and, and experience this idea that nobody's gonna get mad at me. Yo, there are gonna be people mad at you. If Jesus couldn't please everybody, what makes, makes us think we're gonna do it? I mean, it's not gonna happen. And so from this, this man is, is needing to understand the importance of following God. But Jesus is upfront and I love this. Jesus is not hiding anything. Some people say, I didn't know that that's what it was gonna require. Jesus states it. He states everything. And just because maybe we didn't read about it or we didn't take the time to understand it, that, that, that's not his fault, it's, it's ours. We need to look at it and say, that Jesus is very upfront about it. He's very upfront about what it's gonna look like. And the desire to follow him means there will be rejection. But the, but the principle Jesus is showing here in Luke 10 is that after there's rejection, if you read Luke 10, they experience wonderful success. Jesus sends out 72 followers and they come back and report to Jesus and they say, wow, Jesus, we've seen people be delivered like we have never seen before. And he says, I see the the enemy, the devil fall down because of the power of God moving forward. But before there was success, there was rejection. A lot of it. There was a rejection there. And it, what, what is so important, and what you have to understand as a follower of Christ, as much as you desire to follow him, there is coming rejection. But I tell you what, the enemy is so busy at trying to get you to give up and quit, He's gonna do everything within his power to frustrate you, to depress you, to give you doubts. And he will even disrupt plans just to get you off track because he knows that when there's rejection that you will hopefully give up and quit because he sees the other side of it. He sees the success. He, can, he just wants to frustrate it. And this is such an important thing so that I know, I know when the enemy is busy in my life, I know God is up to something greater. And I know that. And it's such a, a beautiful thing to know that God is on our side and he loves us. So the question is, what do you desire? What do you desire to do to follow Jesus? Because what I'm saying is that you may have this in a particular season. You may have a, uh, something that you decide in a, in a particular situation, or it can be something that you decide with your entire life. There are many different situations that come up. The question is, what is your desire? You know, when we built this building, they expanded that building over, there was a desire to do something for God because we felt in our hearts this was the right way to take. It was a desire. And so we said, Lord, we need your help through this. And we've seen that. We've needed the Lord's help in many things on this. But the desire was there. And because of that, we were able to follow through on so many things. I don't want to be talking about that. But it's important to know that when it comes to doing things that we already know in our head, why can't we seem to do them, Right? It's like when I was younger, I I didn't witness to anybody. I was like, I don't, but I knew that was important. I knew in sharing my faith, that was so important. That was so vital. And I kept hearing all the time, share your faith, share your faith, share your faith. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I would never do it. And so throughout my entire teenage years, I didn't do it. Until I got older, I started to get it now. And I said, you know what, Lord? It's not my information. I need more information. I need a different desire. What is my desire? is my desire to please myself or is my desire to please you? And if people need you, then let me have that desire to reach them. Let me have that desire. So the issue isn't no more information. Maybe the issue is you need to check your desire. Where's your desire at? Do you actually desire it? Do you truly do? Do you actually desire those things? Because there'll be people and they'll say no to following Jesus. There'll be plenty of those kinds of people who you offer that, they say no. That's okay. Just remember, the invitation is always there. Jesus always leaves that invitation open. It's an open invitation. They can come and, and even though they rejected the invitation, they can still come and accept it eventually. God doesn't take the invitation away and say, well, because you rejected me, I'm not going to give you that invitation anymore because you're mean, right? No. He leaves it open just because they don't want anything to do with them. Because why? When when we're faithless, he's faithful. He will stay true to who he is. That's the bottom line. God will stay true to who he is. And so the, the, the second part that I wanna share, because you'll have the desire and then there's gonna be tension. There's gonna be a lot of tension. You'll have the desire to do something for God and there's gonna be tension. What tension am I talking about? Well, let's read about it with the second encounter that he has. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied first, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So you read that statement, let the dead bury their own dead. And the first thing I thought of was Jesus watching too many movies, too many Netflix. He's getting all these weird ideas in his head, right? Like, is Jesus dehydrated? Get that man a Gatorade, right? I mean, it's just like, this guy has been traveling a lot. I mean, give him a break. And so it's like this crazy statement comes out of nowhere. And it sounds like the guy has a reasonable... Uh, explanation as to why he needs to go. He needs to bury his father. But the fact of the matter is, what is this guy doing here in the first place when his father is dead and there's preparations that need to be made for the funeral? Like, what is he doing here? You You should have taken care of that already. And Jesus points something out about following him. He says, I want you to understand that following me takes priority over family considerations. And as soon as I said that, you know what I did? when When I said that to myself, you know what happened? There was tension. I immediately said, you're telling me that I have to choose Jesus over my wife and kids. Yes. When it comes to family considerations, that's what he's asking. That's what he's saying. If you really want to follow him, that's what he's saying. And I'm thinking, oh, like there's a lot of tension there. And even though at first I'll say, yes, absolutely, but then as time goes along, there are things that come up. People want you to be a part of this. Oh, you should do this with your time. But then there's tension of, well, it's going to interrupt my time and my family's time to be in the church. It's going to interrupt that. It's going to interrupt my time to even serve people. It's going to interrupt that. You know, so what happens is there's tension. I have to make a decision. So what am I going to do? This is just an example. There's many examples I can give, but this is just an example of that. And so what I've always asked myself is, who wins the tiebreaker? Who wins it? You or God? When it's a tie, you know, this is probably, you know, I like sports and, you know, I like certain things about sports, but there's one thing I don't like about sports is when there's a tie, you know? I mean, I, I, I watch soccer, I watch, you know, sometimes hockey, but you know, when it's a tiebreaker, I just get so mad, you know, because I'm like, no, you can't just walk away from this game with nobody winning. Like, I, I have to walk away. Who's the winner? Who's the loser? Like, you know, or who's the winner? And we don't want to offend anybody. So who's in second place, right? We don't want to call them a loser, right? And so I want to know, that's just the way I'm built. I mean, if you're built differently, that's totally fine. That's just the way I am. I don't like tiebreakers. And so when it comes to, the following the Lord, somebody's gonna win. Somebody's gonna win. Who wins and who loses when it comes to the tiebreaker? And that could go with a number of different situations, but listen, it's, an, it's so important when it comes to, to tensions, when it comes to those kinds of things, we have to understand: am I gonna, God's gonna give you the invitation to, to take a chance and say, I'm gonna trust Him over my own way, over my own other family considerations. That's a big deal. That's a big trust. But yet God's gonna come through on that. He's gonna come through on his promises. And so what a, what a lot of times happens when you have that tension and God constantly loses on your tiebreaker, what will happen is you'll start treating him like a telemarketer. Oh, God's calling, click. Oh, he texted me. <laughs> I'm not gonna answer that one. I just won't read it, right? You know, and so often what we end up doing is we just ignore him enough times, and then we're going to wake up one day wondering where our passion for God went. It happens. It's happened to me before, where I just woke up one day and I'm thinking, I just don't, I don't really want to do anything anymore. And you know why? It's because I kept ignoring the phone call. I kept ignoring the prompt. And over and over, if you do that enough times, it eventually stops having an effect on you and you start treating God like he's some salesperson and that you just wanna avoid him at all costs. It takes a passion away from you. It takes the things that God wants to do in and through your life. He says, I have prepared in advance good works for you to do. I've entrusted you with it, but there will be tension because there will be things that come up that want to win the tiebreaker. And it's up to you to decide. And I think that's such a beautiful thing that God lets you decide. He doesn't force it. God's invitation is for all. The last thing is this, is commitment. This is so important. In verses 61 through 62, it says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Very reasonable. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the service, for service in the kingdom of God. You know, he uses the the illustration of a plow, but really you could look at this as mowing, right? If you're mowing, and you're trying to do a straight line, how many know it's a bad idea to turn around and look back as you're pushing the lawnmower? The neighbor's cat could be right there, okay? You just don't know what could happen in that moment. It's good to keep your eyes fixed on where you're going. Otherwise, if you look back, something bad could happen. Maybe you wanna take away your neighbor's cat. I don't know, but you know, just, just understand that it's important to look forward where you're going, not to look back, because you can mess things up. This happens a lot, and not just with our lives, you know, this man's explanation, his, his reasoning sounds very good. It sounds like, hey, that's, I get it, say goodbye, you know? And Jesus is saying, don't look back. Jesus is reading a heart situation here. He's saying, don't look back. And he says, those who look back are not fit to be a part of the kingdom of God. What a strong statement to say that to somebody. I mean, that's like, whoa. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And as I learn more and more about this, there are times where I'm starting to understand this more. And I read, you know, I was reminded of the story of the Israelites when they were in a place where they were being enslaved in Egypt and they're wanting God to deliver them. God delivers them. And, and what happens, they start wandering around in the desert and they start wanting food, which is very reasonable. God provides manna from heaven. That's better than Panera bread, I promise you, right? It's manna from heaven. And every single day, they get to walk out there and pick it, and it's a miracle. But then the miracle was no longer good enough. It became the expectation. And then now, all of a sudden, it was, now I don't want just Panera bread from heaven. I want something different. I want beef. Give me Texas Roadhouse or something, right? I want steak. And they start actually wanting to go back to Egypt because that's where they got it from. So, what was once a miracle became the expectation, and no longer is it good enough now. You see how quickly that trickled out? It was once a miracle, it has now become the expectation. Now, the expectation is no longer good enough, and so they want to go back. This happens a lot in our life. You're sitting in a miracle, you're sitting inside of a building that was a miracle. I mean, I don't have time to share with you the whole story. If you haven't taken Discover Grace, when we offer that, you take it. You'll hear the story. That is a miracle. To think that we're sitting inside of a building, that was a miracle. But then what happens? It becomes the expectation. Well, I just expect everything to be ready. I expect them to serve me and to do this for me and do all that. And listen, we're here to serve you. We're here to love you. But more than that, you've got to understand that this is a miracle. And so what happens is when your expectations are no longer met or your expectations aren't satisfying, you start thinking, well, this isn't good enough anymore. And so now you, you treat the very thing that was a miracle as it's no longer good enough. I mean, what a, what a terrible way to look at stuff. That would be a tragedy to look at the fact that somebody gave for us to be in that chair that I'm sitting in this morning. Someone sacrificially gave. Who knows? That person probably gave something and, and they, that was an act of faith. Maybe they had to take a second job. Maybe this stuff up here, somebody had to take a third job. Maybe it was a sacrifice that they could have invested in it into their college tuition for their kids. And they said, you know what? I'm gonna put something ahead of that. Because you know what? When I come to serve God, when I come to love God, when I wanna have the desire to follow him, I realize there's tension. But you know what? I'm gonna make the commitment. And I'm gonna do it. Because you know what? The world will tell you how to be successful all day long. It'll tell you how to, I listen to guys that are forward thinkers who aren't Christians, by the way, they speak, okay? Um, but I wanna know what, they're, what is being taught to our world. And, I, and it's amazing how they teach success. And a lot of what they predicted has come true. And so you, they gain more of an audience and they start telling you about success. This is what it's gonna take to to succeed in our world, especially in a world that's moving fast. And I think, you know what? There's one thing they're forgetting. They're not teaching about God's peace at all. They're not teaching about any of that. They're teaching how to be successful in, in the world that they live in, but yet those guys don't even have peace. You know why? Because God is peace. God gives them peace. And when you start living for the expectations and the pressures of the world, you lose your sense of peace because you're putting your peace into something that can never give it to you. And so what happens is we start looking at the world and seeing, wow, the success, that looks exciting. And yet we don't realize the people that we're envying the most are the people who are most miserable behind the scenes. It's amazing. That's not even my notes. I don't know where that came from, but it was something that, you know, I listen to them because I just want to know where people are coming from. What are they doing? What are they talking about? What do they what does success look like to them? And yet they have so much success but very little peace. No peace in fact. If you're not following the Lord, you don't have God's peace. And God wants to give that to you. He wants to give it to all of us. And so it's so important to not look back, but to be committed and to know what God is calling each and every one of us to do, because you can't understand what he's calling you to do. I know it sounds cliche, but it's so truthful that you can't understand what God has called you to do unless you're in his presence. You don't know the needs of your spouse unless you spend time with your spouse. You don't know your kids unless you spend time with your kids. It's very simple, right? You've got to be with them. And then he'll start to put things in your heart. He'll start to give you the desire. But then there's gonna be tension. And then you're gonna have to make a decision. What am I committed to more? What am I committed to? And it's such an important thing because God is looking for kingdom builders. And I love what it says about, um, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, David's mighty men. It's listed on this scripture. And I love it uh, simply because of what God speaks to through this situation. And the worship team, you guys can come up here. But David's mighty men in 2 Samuel chapter 23, I've been reading a lot about this. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of men, I'm not gonna mention everybody on this, but there's a couple of men here that I noticed a, a theme about them. Who does David surround himself with? Who does David say, you're the person that I want on my team? This is what happens. In 2 Samuel 23, there mentions a name, Joshua. Beshebeth, you know, that almost made the list for my son's name, but just the pronunciation was not not going well for us. So, um, but it says he raised his spear against 800 men, 800 men. You know why he's doing that? It's because everybody ran, but he didn't run. He stayed. Such a wonderful thing. And he won. And then you see another man, Eleazar, It says while the Israelites were retreating, he stood his ground and fought so hard. The the sword was literally like frozen to his hand, they said. He fought so hard. Everybody else ran away, but he stood and he fought and he didn't quit. And he won. David says, I want you on my team. And then there's Shema. He says that the it says that the Israelites fled from the Philistines, but Shema did not. He stayed and he fought. And he won. And the guys that retreated came back only to see that everyone that was running against him was now dead on the ground because Shema stayed. And I encourage you to understand this very principle. God wants to maintain what he has, but he's interested in expanding his kingdom. David knew that if I wanna be successful, if I wanna do this thing for God, I need people who cannot just necessarily maintain, but I need people who can expand, who have that mindset that when everybody else runs during the bad time, I'm staying. I'm committed. I'm not running, but I'm gonna stay firm even if it costs me everything. I'm staying put. And this is such a beautiful thing to know. This is who God is looking for and his invitation is for all. He believes that you can do this just as much as David saw it firsthand. He He put a lot of his time and energy in 12 disciples. One betrayed him. The others laid down their life for him. They stayed even when it got the worst. And you know what? We're a long way from Jerusalem right now. So it's amazing to see the influence that God had in their life because they stayed when everybody else ran. And it's such a, an amazing thing. And I can't think of a better story than some of the things that have happened in my life where, you know, we, we hear stories about Jordan Parker. A lot of you know him. He, uh, you know, I was asked to be a, basically a chaplain for the Harford Tech football team for a couple of seasons. And my first season, you know, I, I met Jordan. But and you hear his story, you hear him, he comes to know God. He follows the Lord. He goes to school. He becomes a, a pastor, a full-time pastor. And now he's he's serving in that capacity. He gets married. He's now been married. And you hear that story, that story but you hear all that success, and you think, wow, that's so cool. But I want to tell you the back story. The back story was I wanted to quit. I had the desire to change that school, to change that program. And I remember three quarters of the way in that season, nothing was happening. I just said, God, I'm done. I'm done. Nothing's working. I've tried. I've given it my all. I'm done. Then Jordan, out of nowhere, asked me, how can I contribute to society, Coach Bobby? And I was like, that came out of nowhere. No, that was God. And so I invited him came to know the Lord, came to serve the Lord, came, and he's doing great things. And I encourage you to understand something. That was not me. That was all God. I had a desire, but then there was tension. And I said, I can't do it. It was like, God was saying to me, okay, here's a chance. How committed are you? And I stayed, but the story gets better because I went through year two and it was great. And then in year two, I was like, you know, I think my time here is coming to an end. And I just felt like God was telling me, no, one more year. I'm like, God, I got so many things going on. I I can't give another year to this. Like it's in the most inconvenient time for me to go over there. And I stayed and I, you know, did it and nothing really happened. And I was just like, okay, there, I did it. And I'm gone. Fast forward two or three years, fast forward to present day. I'm in the grocery store and I go up to the cashier and I'm paying for my stuff and I recognize him. And he looks right at me and he says, you're Coach Bobby, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And I said, I remember you. You're from the Hartford Tech football team, aren't you? And he said, yes, sir. And it was the kid, believe it or not, year three. I don't know what why he was on the sideline by himself. I think he was hurt or something, or the coach didn't like him. I don't know. And so I would come every day to that practice, and I would just stand right next to him, because he was the only kid not busy, not doing anything. And I just stood there, and I talked with him, and you know, wait for the coach to look away and then we start laughing about something, you know, just trying to just ease up a little bit, trying to make him feel relaxed and, and didn't think anything about it. But now I know why. Lost people have to be our desire, church. It has to be our desire. It has to be it. This church was not built just for us to be entertained. His church was built to expand his kingdom. I realize that now, more and more every day. I realize now that when I served with Extreme Family Outreach in these past couple years, you know, at first I was kind of like, they're not doing anything special. They're just going and doing their thing and then they leave. And then they come to me with an opportunity and they said, I want to give you, we want to give you two neighborhoods to minister to, two, not one, two. And I was like, oh, like, oh my goodness. I want to give you two neighborhoods that most people avoid, but we want you to go in and we want you to share the gospel with them. And we want you to love those kids so that when you see that eight-year-old taking care of a newborn, you know her story. That mom and dad just, for whatever reason, they're working a lot. Or mom and dad are not doing things that they should be doing. Or mom and dad are just, they're so tired, they're so depressed, they can't even go outside. You see those eight-year-olds take care of that newborn baby. It hits you. They deserve Jesus. They deserve hope. And I understand I'm getting emotional right now. I just get emotional when I talk about people who are lost man, I don't know where I'd be without him. I don't know where I would be if I would have said, no, no thanks. I don't want any part of it. I'm too busy. I got too much to do. But I felt a tug. And I was like, I got to. I got to do it. I can't say no. I got to do it. And I did it. And you know, I can give you all the success stories, but there's a lot of stuff I said no to before too as well. And then you know I just came to that point of you know what I'm not gonna live in regret. I'm gonna live in the successes and the future that God has for me, and I'm gonna step into that. This is what we're doing. We're not doing this for just for ourselves to be entertained. Yeah, look at the entertainment, it's great, I think it's wonderful, but you know what? It's for that girl that's eight years old. It's for those kids whose parents are addicted to drugs. And that's the best part of their day is to come out there and hear a presentation that, you know, I don't think is really, I, at times I'm just like, I just feel like an idiot. <laughs> and yet I notice God's working. I know I'm over the time, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to share that with you. I get emotional about lost people because there was a, there was a time where I didn't care. I said I did. I just didn't put that into practice. Now I realize why Jesus, when he walks to Jerusalem, he weeps. You know, men, it's, it's okay to cry, men. It's okay. Jesus cried over Jerusalem because they missed the Messiah, they missed it. He weeps over them because they missed the chance to see the Messiah on earth and they put him on a cross instead. I now know why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Because they missed the desire. They kept letting themselves win the ties and they kept saying no to the commitment. When you do that enough, your desire no longer becomes his desire. Your desire is your own. It's time for us to say, Lord, what can I do? I am available. I don't have all the gifts. And let me tell you something, you don't need them. You just need God. You need to be available and God will use you. I promise you. I don't care how terrible your story is. I'm not being insensitive to your situation. I'm just simply saying to you, if you're available, God will use you, period. That is a fact. Read the stories of the Bible. Read all these men and women who did great things for God. They weren't the most talented people in the world. They weren't the most intelligent, but I'm thankful for a God who doesn't necessarily need all the intelligence in the world to do great works and great things. And so today, I'm gonna ask you to, I'm not necessarily sure how to close this, but I'm gonna ask you to stand and uh, we're just gonna pray and ask God to, to be with us. We're gonna worship the Lord. Um, our prayer teams, if you guys can come forward, we're going to uh, pray over just needs that you may have Maybe if you have a those those sheets filled out, maybe you just need to say, I'm gonna take this to the prayer team and I'm gonna pray with my with this prayer team. And if we have people that are covered all over the prayer teams, if we don't have enough people, we'll bring the board and spouses. If you're here, you can come up. If, if you see that everybody that's been up here for prayer team uh, and covered, we'll, we'll, we'll make room for everybody else. But we're gonna sing this song to the Lord together. I know I went over my time, I apologize. But... We're going to worship the Lord together and understand, Lord, I get it now. I get it. I get it. I'm understanding. And you're going to get more as you go on. But I just encourage you to know God's invitation to follow him is for anyone and everyone. It's for everybody. And we get to be a part of the greatest thing of all time. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to walk away from this life and think, man, I wish I would have done more. I want to to say, Lord, I gave it my all. I did everything I knew to do. And Lord, even the times when I feel tension, Lord, I know that there's something beyond it that's a miracle, and I want to do it because I want to see the miracle. So this morning as a prayer, or the worship team leads us, if you want to pray, if you want to worship the Lord, just for a few moments, let's do that together. Worship